New Orleans Saints head coach Dennis Allen says that the hire of offensive coordinator Clint Kingsbury came down to the system, a quarterback-friendly scheme, and some unlikely familial ties. We got all that and a little bit of land yap for you on today's episode of Locked on Saints. You are Locked on Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, Houdat Nation and Houdat family? I am your host, Ross Jackson, New Orleans native, your New Orleans Saints expert, credentialed member of the media covering those New Orleans Saints as a senior writer and reporter over at Saints News Network. And on today's episode of Locked on Saints, we're going to be breaking down some of Dennis Allen's comments from his conversation with Steve Weish and James Palmer over at the NFL Report, which we're going to be taking a look at the unique blend of offensive staff that has been brought in and the why behind that. Changes on the way, potentially, when it comes to the fits of the offense, which effectively admits something about 2023 that we all knew. And to kick it all off, we're going to be taking a look at how Dennis Allen is clearly excited about the staff addition, starting off with offensive coordinator Clint Kubiak. We laid out effectively three specific reasons that they made that hire. So we're going to be breaking all that down on today's episode. We appreciate you very much for being an everydayer here on the show and making us your first listen of the day every day here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Locked On Saints is brought to you by friends over at FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets by winning any $5 bet. That's $150 if your first $5 bet wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started today. So, I want to start this off with a look at Dennis Allen's excitement around the hiring of Clint Kubiak. He said that Clint Kubiak was the obvious choice at offensive coordinator. And to me, that is a very big takeaway from this interview. The New Orleans Saints interviewed uh, 11, 12 different people. Dennis Allen kind of mentioned that as well. Uh, As offensive coordinator, they interviewed a bunch of different types of guys too, even though a lot of them had Kyle Shanahan connections such as Kubiak such as Brian Greasy, uh, such as Gerard Johnson, who had connections to the Shanahan offense, the McVay offense, the the Frank Reich coaching tree. They talked to Mike Sullivan, who's like a veteran OC play caller. Uh, Thankfully, they didn't hire him. They went to a whole bunch of different ways to eventually look at adding and finding their offensive coordinator. And they looked at a bunch of different systems along the way. And it seems that they settled on Clint Kubiak for three specific reasons, the system being one of them, the fact that his scheme is quarterback friendly being the other, and then some familiarity, some familial ties when it comes to Clint Kubiak and Derek Carr. So we're going to get to that here in a moment. But let's start off with the Clint Kubiak system, because I think that's the most important part of this conversation. The system is something that's familiar that Dennis Allen has been familiar with for a long time. Dennis Allen effectively giving you a little bit of the lay of the land that we gave you in yesterday's episode, where we talked about the origins of the Kyle Shanahan, quote unquote, offense really being the Mike Shanahan and Gary Kubiak offense from back in 1994, uh, starting in San Francisco with Steve Young, going to Denver and making it happen with, I think I said in yesterday's episode, Peyton Manning, it was John Elway. My apologies. This was Denver well before Peyton Manning, but John uh, John Elway. Then they made it work with Brian Greasy too, who of course was another one of those guys that they talked to um, in this hiring process and interview process and all. And so sort of the familiarity of Dennis Allen with Gary Kubiak, who both played at Texas A&M, 
Uh, Gary Kubiak was a quarterback there. Dennis Allen watched him play quarterback there, all of those things. Um, and then seeing sort of the way that it could benefit the current players that were there. So not only was it a system that they felt strongly would kind of change their offense, but it was a system that they felt would already benefit their current players. And, and one of the biggest pieces of that, or if not the biggest piece of that outside of maybe the, the offensive line, which some exciting things on that coming up here um, as we uh, continue on with the show, but the, the quarterback, right? Like that's the number one most important thing you have to have your system benefit and that has to benefit your system. It's a two-way road. So for me, the fact that he continuously discussed the system as being a quarterback-friendly system backs up a lot of what we've been talking about as well. How is the system quarterback-friendly? Uh, you get the ball out quickly. There's a real emphasis in the quick game. Um, Andrew uh, Janoko, by the way, I've been calling him Janico, but Janoko um, has been one of the, the the better coaches in the NFL when it comes to coaching quarterbacks to run that quick passing game. He very much understands the influence of it. Uh, understands the value of it based on top 10 offenses around the league on a year-to-year basis that utilize quick passing games, things like that. Uh, simplifying reads comes with that because you're trying to get the ball out quickly, uh, finding ways to get the ball out in a you know four to six yard range to playmakers that can then you know pick up more yardage after the catch, right? It, it, levying or, or leveraging, excuse me, your playmakers and making sure you're utilizing them and putting them in a good situation to support your quarterback. Uh, play action, of course, is a heavy component. Dennis Allen spoke in that interview uh, at NFL Report or on the NFL Report last night where he was discussing a little bit more about using uh, play action more towards the end of the year. Not only did the Saints use play action more towards the end of the year, but they were more efficient when they utilized it uh, toward the end of the year as well. So they utilized it in a better way, in better situations were more effective with it over time, things like that, even though the run game wasn't necessarily there. And that's the other piece that makes this offense quarterback friendly is its emphasis on the run game. And so as the run game progresses and gets better, so too does the play action uh, portion of the game. And Derek Carr is very comfortable in play action. And again, helping to simplify the offense for the quarterback, but put it behind a veil of complexity. We're going to throw this two yard, you know, um, uh, uh, a slant in the Super Bowl if you're the San Francisco 49ers. But before I throw that two yard slant that goes for a touchdown to Juwan Jennings, I'm going to do six different motions and, you know, post snap things that confuse you on the way to me simply throwing a two, three yard slant that turns into an 11 yard touchdown or whatever. The, those are the types of things that you're looking for. Can you simplify the offense, but make it look complex? That is what the Gary Kubiak, Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan offense has been since its inception in the 90s, or even since it's earlier versions of that as well that you can still find. Uh, the other thing that was really interesting was him talking a lot about how they believe in Clint's ability to be successful as an offensive coordinator, Clint Kubiak, to be successful as an offensive coordinator because of Gary Kubiak's success as an offensive coordinator. Remember, Gary Kubiak was the offensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos, who you know went on to win you know, and, and be, uh, I think they were, of the 11 years that Gary Kubiak was the offensive coordinator in Denver. Nine times they were a top 10 scoring offense, several times being within top five, top three. And uh, 10 times they were a top 10 uh, total yardage offense. So very successful offenses. Then he goes to you know take a head coaching job in Houston, hires Mike Shanahan, his former head coach's son, Kyle Shanahan, to be his offensive coordinator to his head coach. Um, and 
that offense takes off there as well. And that was an offense that uh, none other than Derek Carr's older brother, David Carr, was a part of. And Dennis Allen said that they you know, talked to David Carr about the system, heard some nice things about the system, all that. Obviously, you don't make your entire decisions based upon that, right? But clearly, that was something that meant something to Derek Carr, that meant something to Dennis Allen, and allowed them to be able to really hone in on Clint Kubiak as the number one guy. Remember, we had him, you know, one, we had Zach Robinson 1A, we had Clint, Clint Kubiak 1B here. A lot of folks said Clint Kubiak at the, near the top of their list or at the top of their list as well. This was an obviously good hire if you're going to roll the dice on the offensive system or roll the dice on changing the offensive system. You might as well go with a guy that it has has roots and ties to a lot of successful things in, in the NFL past and present. And I think that the New Orleans Saints did a good job in doing that. Now, will they win games because of it? That's going to be the end all be all in terms of this answer. But good stuff in terms of those three reasons, uh, those three reasons that stood out to me in terms of the biggest takeaways around why Clint Kubiak was the hire for the New Orleans Saints. Coming up next, Dennis Allen kind of maybe admitted something about the New Orleans Saints offense that we've known all along here over the course of the past couple of years, but it was kind of refreshing to hear him say it. We'll get to that as we continue on with today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked on Saints is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook and the official sports betting partner here on the Locked on Podcast Network. And you get to make every moment more with FanDuel as you shoot your shot with the NBA season rolling along. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets by simply winning any $5 bet. You can put $5 on anything, even something that's a heavy favorite. If you win that $5 as your first bet, as a new customer, you're going to get $150. That's an automatic 30 to 1 odds in bonus bets. That's $150 if your bet wins. How awesome is that? Then you can take those bonus bets and do much more, including betting on all of your favorite NBA players and teams as the basketball season picks back up. Quick bets, live same game parlays, live moving lines as well. Always a lot of fun there. Exclusive props and much more. All you got to do is head over to FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. All right, family. Dennis Allen might have unknowingly admitted something that we've known about the New Orleans Saints offense for the past couple of years, and he did it uh, in a way that made a lot of sense in comparing what the Saints are doing on offense this year to what they've done on defense in the past as an organization. We're going to break that down as we continue on here today. We appreciate you very much making Locked On Saints your first listen of the day every day. Don't forget to go and check out that Locked On Sports Today YouTube stream, the first ever YouTube uh, national sports 24-7 stream. You can find it by subscribing to Locked On Sports Today. All right, so um, one of the other things that Dennis Allen talked about in this interview was uh, sort of the changing of draft fits. And in the process, sort of admitted that the Saints weren't necessarily sure who they wanted to be on the offensive side or who they were on the offensive side of the football. I think that's a pretty big takeaway in terms of knowing where they're coming from and knowing what they're heading towards. It's a good sign of sort of self-awareness in terms of where the New Orleans Saints were. Now, listen, I'm being a little bit unfair to Dennis Allen when I say this because he didn't say this outright. I'm just putting puzzle pieces together. So let me be very, very clear about that. I'm kind of filling in some blanks that you know, I'll ask Dennis Allen about later, and he might say, look, dude, you filled in the blanks that didn't need to be filled in, and that's fine. I'll take that L. That's okay. But if you think about what he said, 
One of the things that he was asked about by James Palmer was whether or not they were going to be sort of changing the way that they look at certain offensive positions in the draft, in free agency as well, I'm sure, but the conversation was in the context of the NFL draft. Are they going to change what they're looking at on the offensive side based upon this new offensive staff? And and the answer to that is, is yes, right? Like you're going to do that with a new offensive coordinator. We're going to kind of take a look at the positions and how that can happen over in, in tomorrow's episode. What could new prototypes new fits look like for the Saints at each offensive position uh, is what we'll we'll look at tomorrow. But um, as we kind of get into this conversation, the thing that I thought was really interesting was that he compared what the Saints are doing on the offensive side of the football right now to what they did on the defensive side of the football back in 2015, 2016, where he said, and I quote, or not, and I quote, but I'll paraphrase, um, that the Saints didn't really know who they were going to be at that time. Were they going to be 3-4? Were they going to be you know, 4-3? Uh, uh, were they going New England single high? Were they going Seattle cover you know, 3? There was a whole lot of different you know options for them at that time. And as he said, they didn't really know who they were going to be. Then once they figured out kind of what their identity was, then they were able to draft the players over the course of the next couple of years, really hitting the jackpot in 2017, right? Uh, where where things really started to fall into place for them, particularly as a defense. And then that's when, you know, the addition of Demario Davis happened a year later and all these other things. And then the defense built its identity and then boom, they were able to they were able to find players that fit all of those molds. That's what the Saints are trying to do over on the offensive side, which implies that the New Orleans Saints did not have a solid identity in 2023 and 2022. I think that's what that tells you is that now the Saints are trying to find their identity. And in fact, Dennis Allen even used the word identity when it came to this conversation of trying to find who they are on the offensive side of the football. I think that is good self-awareness. You have to know where you were struggling in order to know how to improve. It's the journey from unconscious incompetence to unconscious competence. You have to eventually become conscious of your incompetence so that you can become consciously competent. So you have to move in that direction. I don't know that I'm not doing well to I know I'm not doing well and I know why to I know I'm doing well to I don't even have to think about it and I do well. That's where you want to get ultimately is I don't even have to think about it. I'm doing great. You know what I mean? And I think that the Saints right now are sort of jumping that bridge from or jumping that bridge, jumping that gap from jumping the shark, if you will, from um, understanding where they came up short to soon understanding how to get better. And and that's the leap that they're trying to make, right? Understanding that they are better and and trying to get to that place. If they can do that, net win, net positive for the New Orleans Saints in terms of all of their offensive staff change. Here's the other thing that I thought was really interesting beyond sort of the self-awareness of the understanding of like, hey, didn't have an identity, weren't sure what was going on, not weren't sure what was going on, but like not sure what the mold was and where things would fit and all that. Is that now you start to look over on the defense or the offensive side of the football and you go, okay, so now what is going to be the new identity? And we know some of the things that are inherent to the elements of the offense that is about to be installed, right? We mentioned the quick passing game. We talked about the commitment to play action and the run game and all that. Crossing routes, attack in the middle of the field. That's big in Kubiak offenses, in Shanahan offenses. Uh, pre-snap motion, post-snap motion, eye candy, window dressing, things that challenge the eye discipline of your opposition, all of those things. Those are all things that are going to be tenets of the entire offensive identity. But what will the offensive identity be? Will it be a heavy run game? Will it be a heavier passing game? Will it be a deep passing game? Will it be a 
nickel and dime sort of, uh, what do you call it, death by paper cuts kind of approach like we've seen the New Orleans Saints take in the past. The Shanahan offense, as we see it operate in San Francisco, is not necessarily a deep ball offense. It is a lot of get the ball in the hands of the playmakers and then let them create. Just because you complete a six-yard pass doesn't mean that it has to be a six-yard pass and that it can't turn into a 60-plus yard pass. Um, Attacking the middle of the field. So you'll see a lot of uh, concepts try to open up the middle of the field 15 yards down, right? 15 yards from the line of scrimmage. And what that allows the offense to be able to do is get the hand, ball in the hands of a Debo Samuel, get the ball in the hands of a Brandon Ayuk, 15 yards downfield, and then allow them to be able to catch the ball in stride and continue moving five, six, seven, 20, 25, 80 yards if they needed to, right? So that's the way that you look at sort of building out what this offensive identity could look like. But in all cases and in all intents and purposes, these are positive steps forward. Will we see it translate to wins? We'll see. But as of right now, in terms of taking the swing, which we're going to get to taking a swing here in a sec, uh, there's going to be some good things about where this team believes it's headed and what this team thinks it's doing right now. And then we'll see if it all translates out onto the field. I mentioned when we get to some exciting stuff around the offensive line, this is it, right? We were talking about the idea of changing draft fits. Um, and offensive line was one of the top ones to be mentioned. Like I mentioned in tomorrow's episode, we'll go quarterback, offensive tackle, offensive guard, center. And just imagine what's different, right? What could be different out there for what it is that the New Orleans Saints are looking for at each position. Uh, but I think there are some positions that are solidly set. That you know what you want from your center these days in the NFL. You know what you want from your quarterback these days in the NFL. There should be no big question marks about that. But the way that you look at your offensive tackles might change. You want more athleticism. Are you looking less for projects, more for proven, uh, proven output? Uh, are, you, are you looking for guys that are more maulers? Uh, you're looking for guys that are more road graders. You're looking for guys that are better against the pass as opposed to better against the run first and things like that. Like there's a lot of different conversations to have there. And that's a good thing because look, the Saints get a bad rap for the way that they've drafted offensive line when really they've had like one questionable offensive line pick in the first round since Andrews Pete back in 2015. But like um, Cesar Reese has panned out. Eric McCoy wasn't a first round pick, but he was the first pick of that draft in the second round. He has panned out incredibly well. Ryan Ramchek back in 2017 panned out well. Now you're just dealing with the injuries for him and things like that many years later down the line. So that makes sense. It's just kind of time there. Uh, and so Trevor Penning is really the most concerning one that's like teetering on that bust potential. And so if what this new system brings you is, hey, we don't want projects to you know, be on the offensive line, guys that still have to develop. We want guys that are as close to the finished product as possible, or we want guys that have proven output, proven production, whatever it might be. Then that might take things in the right direction in terms of the public opinion or the outside opinion on what draft uh, draft prospects look like in the first round. And that helps within the organization as well. So lots of cool things going on in terms of what that could mean. We'll kind of dive more in it in tomorrow's episode in terms of what the details of that might look like. Coming up next, we're going to dive into uh, sort of just the unlikely connections across the staff and how the New Orleans Saints built out the rest of the offensive staff through Dennis Allen's eyes. we got that coming up for you as we continue on and wrap up today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it, Houdat Nation. The New Orleans Saints built out their offensive staff effectively traveling in two different directions at once and meeting in the middle somehow. And I think it worked. We'll see if overall it works. Appreciate you very much for being here. Don't forget, we are your team every day. Coming up tomorrow, what could those new 
draft fits on the offensive side look like. We're going to take a look at the prototypes of each offensive position that the New Orleans Saints have utilized and drafted over the course of the past, let's call it half decade and a half, right? And then imagine what they would look like if they were different. Not trying to get right here, just trying to look at possibilities. We're going to be breaking that down in tomorrow's episode for a little bit of fun. Uh, All right, so the New Orleans Saints built out their staff in a really unique way. They found a bunch of people that all kind of agree on what the system is, but weren't all working together. It's a really unique sort of approach. So here's what the New Orleans Saints did. They went out and they found a whole bunch of people that are connected, intertwined in maybe some unique ways. Um, Rick Dennison, who the Saints will be adding reportedly as their run game coordinator, is a guy that took over at offensive line coach. Uh, back in the two thousand earlier two thousands, took over from offensive took over offensive line coach while uh, Clancy Barone, now the New Orleans Saints tight end, and Andrew Janico, who is now the Saints expected to be the Saints quarterback coach, uh, were kind of splitting that duty after the the death of a different coach. And so you've got this guy coming in and replacing them. Uh, similarly, you're bringing in Clint Kubiak, who was the son of Gary Kubiak, and Gary Kubiak worked with John Benton. Gary Kubiak worked with uh, uh, Rick Dennison. And even at one point when Gary Kubiak took the head coaching job in Houston and left Denver, the guy that replaced Gary Kubiak at offensive coordinator was none other than Rick Dennison. So everybody's kind of got all these really interesting connections. And you have a lot of veteran coaches like um, like John Benton, like Rick Dennison. You can put, I, I would probably put um, Andrew uh, uh, Janico into that conversation as well, because he's been coaching for at least a little while. He's not you know, an older guy with 20 plus years experience or anything like some of the others, but he's a younger guy that's been doing it for a while and is a little bit of a genius in his own right. Even um, even Albert Breer over at SI kind of noted Janico as a um, uh, underrated hire who could potentially be big if Clint Kubiak gets a head coaching opportunity elsewhere, whether that or whether that head coaching opportunity happens here, whether that head coaching opportunity happens elsewhere. Because remember, OCs move quick into the head coaching realm. So if he has one good year here in New Orleans to kick things off, he could be on his way out next season. And so having a guy built in like an Andrew Janico could could particularly be one of those guys that moves into the position of OC or some or play caller or something like that. So just something to watch for the future. Uh, even if you look at guys like uh, Keith Williams, who's expected to be hired as the wide receivers coach, he doesn't have a connection to uh, you know, Gary Kubiak and Clint Kubiak and Kyle Shanahan and all that, but he's got a connection to uh, former New Orleans Saints wide receiver coach, Coach CJ, Curtis Johnson. He was under Curtis Johnson in Tulane when Johnson was the head coach there. Uh, also, uh, as we've discussed before, he was Keith Williams, the wide receiver coach at um, at Fresno State when Derek Carr was the quarterback at Fresno State and has spent some time working with Devontae Adams off to the side and private situations and things like that as well. And so he's got all of these little connections that go back to tying into the New Orleans Saints, even though they don't tie into the sort of what we would call like the Kubiak tree that kind of got built out there. Uh, You look at a guy like Derek Foster, doesn't necessarily have a connection to the New Orleans Saints immediately, but having worked with the Los Angeles Chargers, who have a fantastic uh, relationship with the New Orleans Saints. That's big. Uh, him having worked with a guy like Austin Eckler gives you the confidence that he can work with a dual threat guy like Alvin Kamara. So there's a connection there as well in terms of what his track record is and how he ends up working. So you can kind of you kind of split up the, this offensive staff into 
veteran Kubiak guys and Clint Kubiak and Andrew Janico and um, uh, Clancy Barone, I guess, technically falls in there too because of his time with both Denver and in uh, Minnesota. So we can kind of put him into that group too. John Benton, who spent time in, gosh, Houston and San Francisco, then went with one of the LaFleur brothers to New York, all that. And then Rick Dennison, who's had time with that Kubiak tree. And then you have sort of these younger progressive minds as, um, as, as Dennis Allen called them, uh, Derek Foster and Keith Williams. And I'm sure that they'll continue to add there too. But I think that the younger progressive minds kind of blend in. Andrew Janico and Clint uh, Kubiak kind of fall under that category as well. So it's a really interesting sort of blend of guys that have done it before and have done it well and guys that are bringing in new ideas. And that's kind of what you need in today's NFL. You have to be okay with new ideas, especially with the constant turnover of successful offensive systems in the NFL when it comes to the personnel turnover that comes there uh, with finding success. You have to have sort of those younger guys that you can fall back on uh, as well. So. I like the fact that they built sort of synergy while also bringing in new ideas. That I thought was a good move. Um, all of those connections are not invalid at all. Some of them even have more Texas A&M connections to Dennis Allen as well. Um, also, they're bringing in a new system, but they're doing it by bringing together guys that are already familiar with that system, which should help the learning curve situation quite a bit. It's one thing when you have to teach your players a new offensive system. It's another thing when you have to teach your players a new offensive system while also teaching all of your position coaches a new offensive system. It, it's so much better if you're going to make the change at OC to make the changes at all of the you know position coaches as well, position coaching spots as well, so that you don't have the OC teaching the position coaches and then the position coaches teaching the players something that they're still being taught, right? Everybody that's on this coaching staff has some famili familiarity, excuse me, with what this system should look like. Even Clancy Brown, who was retained, the only position coach retained uh, as a well-respected coach in this league, because he already has connections to this scheme, to the system. Um, ideally, all of that means that the Saints more seamlessly introduce new concepts, new scheme, new system that will still have its familiarities and particularities in everything, um, while being able to do it with people that are familiar with the system and all that, and being able to do it in a way that's cohesive for everybody that's involved and bringing in a cohesive staff to teach the new intrusion of an offensive system was a very wise way to go. If it doesn't work, I applaud the Saints for taking a swing, man. Like the fact that they cleaned house on the offensive staff the way that they did, the fact that they went out and got one of the top guys and most desired guys in this offensive, uh, offensive coordinator search, the fact that they have built up this staff in such a particular and meticulous way. Um, these are all good. These are all good moves at the start. We have to see what the results are, but I applaud the Saints for at least taking their swing right now. Somebody was asking me, how is it that I could be so optimistic about an offensive staff that we've never seen before? I'm not optimistic about it. My expectations are just higher about it. So it's not about me being optimistic. It's not about me saying this is going to be good. It's that my expectation is that things have gone well thus far, right? My expectation is that it will be good based upon how well things have gone and the decisions that have been made. But we still have to wait and see, right? You still have to wait and see how it all ends up panning out. So coming up tomorrow, we're going to take a look at some of those uh, draft fits and how that could potentially have an impact of taking this from expectations, you know, good expectations 
to good in practice, good on the field. That's what we're going to get to in tomorrow's episode. We appreciate you very much. As always, making Locked On Saints your first listen of the day every day. Don't forget for your second listen, Locked On Pelicans, Locked On LSU over there for you as Locked On Louisiana continues to bring the good stuff. Make sure you go and check them out. We appreciate you as always. Make it Locked On Saints a part of your day, part of your routine for saying yes to me and the show. As always, if you see me, please say hi. And if you need anything else around your New Orleans Saints in between these episodes, make sure you follow me on your favorite social media at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how you're moming them. And trust you, that nation, I'll holla at you.